Today we continue our journey into the narrative lectionary and we've actually skipped a lot of the narrative between where we were three weeks ago and where we are today. So I just want to take a, a few minutes just to fill us in on what has happened as it will help us uh, learn the thread and understand more of the passage that we're reading today. Uh, where we were three weeks ago was uh, with the covenant with Abraham where God promised um, Abram that he would become um, the, the father of many descendants, that he would be given a land of his own, and that through him his family would be a blessing to the world. We heard how uh, it was very hard for Abram and Sarai to wait on this promise, um, and so they took matters into their own hands and um, created a plan to have Sarai's slave Hagar become Abraham's wife, which they did. She conceived and had a son, Ishmael. And Ishmael was included then in the covenant, uh, and his, his descendants also uh, became as numerous as the stars. Since that time, um, Abraham and Sarah went on to have a child of their own named Isaac. Isaac went on to have two sons, Esau and Jacob, and Jacob went on to have 12 sons and some daughters as well. Uh, the 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. And of the 12 sons, there was one named Joseph, who was the favorite, much to his brother's chagrin. And so his uh, brothers uh, created a plan to basically sell him into slavery. And so they did that, selling him to Egypt. Well, God was with Joseph. And Joseph actually rose the ranks in Pharaoh's household. And um, one of the biggest things he did was that there was a famine that was going to come to Egypt, and Joseph anticipated it in a dream and told Pharaoh to stockpile grain, which Pharaoh did. And so when the famine came, there was enough grain to keep the Egyptians alive. And um, the Israelites were also suffering from the famine, and so Joseph's brothers came to ask for help from Egypt and from Pharaoh. And there's a beautiful story where the brothers don't even recognize Joseph, but he ends up helping them and revealing himself to him. And there is this story of reconciliation. Those uh, brothers end up moving with their families to Egypt. That's how the Israelites arrive in Egypt. And um, while all things are well at first, eventually the pharaohs change. They forgot about Joseph and his good deeds. And... Um, the later pharaohs ended up enslaving the Israelites. So that's how they became slaves in Egypt. And that's when we get the story of Moses, which we looked at in August. Uh, Moses was born and uh, was born and raised in Pharaoh's household, and then was um, told and given the call to come and to tell Pharaoh, let my people go, which Moses did, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and we read this summer just the first of the 10 plagues that came. So there were 10 plagues. And the 10th was uh, the plague of the angel of death. And this is where we get the story of Passover, where the Israelites were told to put uh, blood over their doorposts, um, that the angel of death would pass over them, and that they were ready to be ready to flee in the middle of the night with their unleavened bread. And so when that night came, uh, they left their homes and they um, fled from Egypt with Moses and crossed the Red Sea um, into the wilderness. And so when we uh, find them now, they have been in the wilderness for some time. 
Uh, during that time in the wilderness, God has been trying to shape them as a community, um, first by providing them with manna, with daily bread, and then giving them uh, the Ten Commandments as a way to help them govern themselves and learn how they were supposed to live, how they were to treat God and treat each other. And as you know, uh, or may remember, the first two commandments are, uh, you know, thou shalt have no other gods before me, and thou shalt not make any graven images or idols. But as we'll see in the story, being in the wilderness is really hard. And so it's not long after these commands that we hear today's story about the golden calf. Let us listen for the word of God. Our scripture today is from the book of Exodus, chapter 32, verses 1 through 14. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us. Who shall go before us as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt? We do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it into a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival of the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen these people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone, so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and of you I will make a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that God brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath. Change your mind and do not bring disaster to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven 
and all this land that I have promised I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And God changed God's mind about the disaster that God had planned to bring on God's people. This is the word of God for the people of God. Will you join me in prayer? O oh, gracious God, as we listen to these ancient stories, speak to us a word for our day and our time. Help us to see you and hear you in new ways. We pray this in your name, O oh Christ. Amen. Slavery, plagues, natural disasters, pharaohs, violence, division, death, wilderness, fear. This is the biblical story. This is what we've heard of the trajectory of the Israelites so far, but in many ways, for the first time, we are realizing that this is also our own story. That this is the story of our nation. This is the story of our world today. I was talking with a colleague uh, this week who said, um, she's a similar age to me, and said, you know, for the first time in my life, this is where I feel like I can really begin to understand a little bit more about what those people of Israel were going through. Because we are facing slavery and its repercussions in the form of white supremacy. We are facing a plague with COVID-19. We are facing natural disasters as we've seen with the forest fires and with hurricanes. We are facing violence and division in ways that we have not seen in a long time. We are facing wilderness as we wonder where are we and where are we going. And the reality is for many of us, we have had privilege which has kept us from the suffering of many and from really experiencing the suffering for ourselves. We have the privilege of being American, or for some of us, the privilege of being white, or for others of us, the privilege of being wealthy, which for the most part has safeguarded us from a lot of the suffering and, and realities and fears that other nations or other generations or other non-white people have faced throughout time and on a regular basis. And so here we are in this time of what I have talked about, and I think what many people have talked about, collective trauma and collective pain and collective suffering. And as a result, our anxiety is really high. There is a lot going on in our world right now. There is a lot at stake in our world right now. And so I just want to name that because I think it is um, hard because many of us who are used to be able to coping so well or uh, usually can, you know, take the world by its horns and live our lives, we are 
we are struggling. And I've heard this from many of you, just feelings of feeling overwhelmed, of feeling exhausted, of feeling helpless or hopeless, or, or wondering if and how things are going to change, wondering where is God in the midst of this. And the anxieties are real. And so if this is you, I just want you to know that you are not alone, that we experience this together. And the reality is that our ancestors in faith felt this too. They had experienced very real and brutal slavery. They had seen pharaohs in action, violence in action. They had had a terrifying uh, leaving from Egypt. They saw the drowning of the Egyptians. They are then deposited in the wilderness and wondering, where are they? Where is God possibly leading them? And so it makes sense when their leader, Moses, disappears for 40 days and 40 nights, which is where he is. He's been delayed. He's up on a mountain talking to God. But when he doesn't come back right away, they are worried. They are afraid that God has left them, that Moses has left them. And so I don't blame them for wanting something tangible to hold on to wanting something that they can count on, wanting some way to know that Yahweh is still with them. And it's out of that anxiety that they look to some place or something or some, someone, some way to worship God. And so they go to Aaron and they ask for that kind of help. They ask for uh, a way to worship. And so, and so Aaron quickly comes up with this idea of a calf. Now, the problem here is that when they make this calf, what they are making is this very limited, very uh, small representation of the, the big and the creative and the regenerative and the liberating God that they have known. They are looking for something quick, something easily to fix their anxiety. When in fact, what God is doing is over time shaping them as a people and inviting them to trust. And God is giving them ways to order their lives. And in fact, Moses and God are up talking on the mountain about the ways that they should be worshiping. And it's while Moses is getting this instruction that the people, um, that their anxiety gets the best of them and, and they create this idol. And what strikes me in this is really just how hard it is to wait. How hard it is to wait on the promises of God. How hard it is to wait on a future that we cannot see. How hard it is to wait when we can feel change is afoot and yet we don't know what is coming. And I feel like for us, we are in this societally, in this emerging moment. It's an evolutionary moment. It's this time when the world and, and everything we know is, is shifting around us. 
And yet what will emerge is, is not clear yet. And so we are in this time of waiting, and for many of us, anxious waiting. We want to know now what's going to happen in 23 days with our election. We want to know now what is going to happen with a vaccine and COVID, and this has already been too long. We want to know when will our routines go back to normal and we can give up online school. When, when is life going to feel the same again? And I think, similar to those Israelites, the reality is we are not going back. We are not going back to where we came from. We are in the wilderness. And we are being led into something new. And if we are anxious, we look for those quick fixes. We look to put our energy and our, our worship and our attention and our, our fears and our hopes and our dreams on something that is not God or something that we put in place of God, which uh, I think right now, in some cases, we, can, we sort of put it in the hopes of a candidate or a political party, or we put it in the hopes of what we think we can do to kind of push this along. But all of these things are, are limited. They're not, they're not that creative, loving, uh, restorative God in its fullest sense. And what's more, what I think is really happening in this time, what I think is also part of what is producing so much of the anxiety, is that we are finally recognizing and reckoning with some of the golden calves that we have been worshiping that we maybe didn't even know we were worshiping. I think this is especially true when we look at something like white supremacy which has been a golden calf of our nation since it was created, since our nation was created. That uh, our forefathers, many of whom were, were people of faith, adopted this idea that God was white, or that white people were better, and structured our entire nation so that it was codified even in the Constitution that white supremacy would rule that only whites could vote, that black people were three-fifths of a person, never mind the indigenous people who were shoved out from the get-go. And this golden calf of white supremacy is what our nation has worshipped. It's what has driven Jim Crow. It is what has driven the war on drugs and mass incarceration and police brutality and uh, so much of the pain and the suffering we're seeing today. And so part of what we're realizing is that these golden calves, they have been around us and in us all this time. And that if we are going to move forward into any kind of new moment, we cannot worship these calves any longer. And in fact, we have to tear them down. We have to dismantle them. I was really thinking about this this week at Respond to Racism when we heard... Um, Dr. Markeisha Smith, who is the director of the Office of Equity and Human Rights for the city of Portland. And she just laid out the way that white supremacy is still just present in all the actions of our government. 
in, in ideologies like perfectionism and exceptionalism and worship of the written word in, in trying to, um, to, to just trying to um, figure out how there's one right way, right? That there's, that there's not room for multiplicity of ideas or for other ways of uh, making decisions or communication. And as she was um, talking through this, I mean, this is some of what we've started to talk about at church, but as she was talking about this, I just thought, well, you know what, this is the church. This is me, this is what I struggle with, this is how I was educated. You're a perfectionist, you need to be exceptional, you need to have the best written word. And, and I'm realizing how much that white supremacy is a golden calf just even within me. You can take this with, with so many other things that were going on in our world right now, that um, there is a golden calf in the way we have pursued and worshiped unlimited economic expansion, which as we know has had detrimental effects to the environment, to people around the world, and we're seeing it in the, in the disasters that are coming up, the fires and the hurricanes, and in global poverty and the widening gap between rich and poor. And yet this is a calf that we have worshiped at that we are realizing we cannot let this continue. And we cannot let the, the, um, the overconsumption and the, the use of natural resources continue in the way that they have. And so part of what I think this text challenges us and part of what I think this collective moment challenges in us is the reality that many of these things that we have ordered our lives around, uh, that we have come to been taught or learned are the right way or the only way or the American way, that these are no longer working. And in fact, these are not the healthy ways of living. These are not the godlike ways of living. And that these structures need to be dismantled. And so we are in this time of, of uncertainty, of wilderness, of being reformed and reshaped where we can't see how it's, how it's all coming together. We can't see yet how it's emerging. And yet what I think this passage invites us to think about is that God is still in there with us. That this is God's longing. This has been God's longing all along. God's longing is for flourishing for everybody, the flourishing of creation. And when we do things to diminish that flourishing, when we set up these golden calves, that is not what God wants. That's why God gets mad in this, <laughs> in this story. It's why God wants a, a creation do-over. And yet even God is moved by the relationship that God has with us. Even God in God's frustration and anger, and I think more than anything, just grief. God longs for us to know a different way and to live in a different way. And to me, that is what is emerging in this time. And that is what we are being asked to sit with and sit in and think about and work toward in the sense that we work toward it by dismantling those calves that are already
So I just wonder in this time, when I know that there is so much anxiety, if we can also think about it as part of what is needing to happen in order for this new life to emerge, in order for something new and better to come. And that instead of being distant and far away, God is with us in it. God is with us in the grief. God is with us in the sorrow. God is with us as we try to stand up and have courage and work to do our part and find a way forward. And that God will, in time, call us to something new. Because that is the God of Israel. That is the God of love. And that is the God whom we serve. So may we continue to trust in this God. May we continue to hope for and long for and work for this peace of God. And may God continue to be with us today and always. Amen.